This is uh, attributed to the test itself, but upwards of a billion dollars wagered and allegedly attempted to place a wager on the U.S. side in the 2011 Ryder Cup, a team of which he was a part. Welcome back, everybody. No putts given. How you living? We're back, Tony and Chris, Golf Spy T, Golf Spy C. In what year, Tony, was Diet Coke invented? I know this is near and dear to your heart. What's your guess? Oh, I, let me think. Uh, where was I? So I, was, I think that was probably Denton, Texas. I can see That's the wheels turning. Right. I don't know, mid-80s. That's pretty good. 1982. 82. Early 80s. You get a free Japanese head cover, Tony. Good for you. I'll send (laughs) you one. (laughs) Lots going on in the world of golf. Mega tournament update. Here we go. Quick recap. Lucas Glover? Lucas effing Glover. Glover. Two weeks in a row. (laughs) Didn't qualify for a major championship this year. And now he's fourth in the FedEx Cup standings. Will make it to the Tour Championship, no doubt. Has his schedule set up for the next several years and quite the career resurgence. Not to be forgotten is that if you watched any of the telecast on Sunday, there's no way you could have watched that telecast and not agree with the idea that players should be able to wear shorts when it gets that hot. Because his pants were just drenched. I think it's in everybody's best interest that we let uh, these guys wear shorts. I agree. 100%. Last women's major of the year, Lilia Vu. Bookending, winning the first of the year, last of the year. She's from So so one over at Walton Heath, which was super fun. And unfortunately, or fortunately, depends on where you're at. The last day, black drama, because she was just that good. Charlie Hall put in pulling out for Eagle from Greenside Bunker kind of gave her a little momentum, but she's going to make any putts until the very last hole which she did to secure solo second. So good for Charlie because she had a second there. I think she was second as well at, at Pebble, but you got that. Then we go to the amateur ranks near and dear to my heart. Cause we got Cherry Hills <laughs> this week. We got the USAM in Is that my your backyard. Backyard-ish? It's an hour away. Ish-ish? Yeah. Two so... different courses. You got Colorado golf club which is a Corn Crenshaw designed phenomenal course. Awesome, awesome course. And then the star of the show. I do enjoy their work at Bandon. So, yeah. (laughs) Never played a a Corn Crenshaw. I didn't, but they, you know, they have the two different sites for the first uh, couple days of stroke play. So Cherry Hills one day, CGC the other day. So we'll see what happens. I'm going to be watching that for sure. I love watching that this week. Last week we had the women's, U.S. Women's AM, Megan uh, Schofield, or Schofield, I hope I'm pronouncing that uh, correctly. She's a fifth-year player, entering her fifth-year player, uh, entering her fifth year anyway at Auburn. She won it. So I love watching the amateur golf, Tony. Do you like amateur golf, or do you just not watch I, it? I play <laughs> amateur golf. That's uh, that's the extent of it for me. That's it. Yeah. You are amateur golf. You are amateur golf we, incarnate. We talked about this. I, I don't watch pro golf much. Yeah. I happen to catch, if I'm flipping through channels and the LPGA is on, I'll mm-hmm. watch it a little bit. But now, sure. you know, more recently with ESPN Plus, I, I watch 
the the European football, the Spanish football until seven, eight o'clock at night on Sundays. Yeah, sometimes. you get your so, La Liga in and your right. whatever else. I'm just going to pretend like I know what those are. Bundesliga, but... La Liga, Premier League. <laughs> I got all the ligas. Yeah. Well, yeah. Except you'll have to educate me at some point. Other big topics in golf this week. This is a little bit of a touchy one. I know a lot of people have talked about this is Billy Walters, right? His book is coming out. He's a notorious gambler. Some would say he maybe has an axe to grind. He has ran afoul of the law on more than one occasion. However, known gambling partner slash friend, I guess, if you will, of one Phil Mickelson. And in an excerpt released by our, our friends over at Fire Pit Collective, great guys over there with Janella and Shipnuck and the, and the crew, here's a couple statistics that came out of that, Tony. I want to get your response $100 million in losses. This is for Phil, gambling losses. Upwards, these are, again, this is coming out of the text. I'm not saying this. This is uh, attributed to the text itself, but upwards of a billion dollars wager and allegedly attempted to place a wager on the U.S. side in the 2011 Ryder Cup, a team of which he was a part yeah, I saw his his response to that on Twitter, which I guess we're supposed to call X now, but I'm not. So on Twitter, his response was, I never bet on the Ryder Cup. Obviously, some nuance in the language there, betting versus tried to bet. He could have been more clear if he wanted to, I think. Oh, I think he said exactly what he wanted to say. I think maybe some truth. We'll see. Or maybe we won't, but certainly not a hard denial on the meat of the allegation itself. So what is a fair stance on this relative to Phil? Like, I'm not sitting here. I don't want to sit here and just bash Phil for half an hour because that doesn't do anybody good. My question is, what is a fair and reasonable stance on the recent gambling uh, my, my stance is Phil yes. Mickelson continues to be dead hooker adjacent, right? You never quite catch him with the body of the tr- in the trunk, but they're, <laughs> it's just metaphorical <laughs> dead hookers all around him. But I went, hey, look, it's his money and he can wager mm-hmm. as much as or as little as he likes until he's out of money. Yep. Maybe he has a problem. Maybe it's an addiction. That's a whole other conversation in, in which case which he's hey, admitted maybe he needs help. That right? Much. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, okay. Yep. That's, that's a different piece of it and then there's the betting on professional golf and whether or not that's palatable we just saw a couple of nfl guys get in some serious trouble for betting on games pete rose that, that seems to be like with, there, yeah. to go back to the nba scandal and tim donaghy you know obviously betting on games in which you have some control over is really bad and you would think that were he have been able to place a bet on the Ryder cup he's certainly not going to tank it But if you've got a lot of money on the line, maybe you make different decisions in different situations. I don't know. That's one potential. There's a reason they don't want you to do that. There's a reason why that's probably morally objectionable in order. And even, but even on the tour, going back to the Donaghy situation, it wasn't just betting on games or providing tips for the games he was refing. He had inside information about stuff going on in other games. And I think, you know, Mm -hmm. that. There's a parallel to be drawn here where he knows the ins and outs of the tour, who's playing well, who's hobbled, who's got what going on. And it's a fine line, but I, yeah, I think maybe betting on golf as a professional golfer probably should be a no-no. There's reasons we have rules against these things, right? Why there's things such as insider trading, which 
again, Phil knows a fair bit about because he had to pay back some cash plus profits, I think, or plus interest for, again, running afoul, maybe not admitting guilt entirely, but draw your own conclusions. Here's where I stand on this. Addiction is a terrible thing. It's a condition. I'm not even going to get into that because if that's the issue, that is what it is. Like you said, if Phil has millions and millions of dollars and he wants to gamble it all away, great. It's his money. I don't care what he does with his money. That's fantastic. It's up to him to choose to do what he wants to do with it. However, when you say things like, I would never do anything to compromise the integrity of the game, which he did say, I call bullshit on that. Because if you really feel that way, do you hit a moving ball on the green just to stick it to the course setup or a ruling body? Do you do that? Do you, let's say he did attempt to place a wager. Let's say he was going to do that and had the person said yes or picked up the phone or whatever. And you do it. His intent, if that is true, his intent was something that would absolutely undermine or potentially undermine the integrity of the game. So I'm not giving him a pass on that part. I'll give him a pass on everything else. It's your money. You do what you want. If you have an issue, people suffer from addiction all the time with different things. Absolutely. Deal with it. Move on. Get the help you need. Totally fine. Absolutely. But when it comes to that kind of moral component, I <laughs> I don't have a lot of trust with Phil right now in terms of his moral compass or aptitude for aligning himself within the greater good of different organizations. I, I'm not buying that one just yet. No, that's me. That's me. Another week, Tony is lab golf. Now officially the best putter for bad putters. We last week was like, Hey, we're never going to see this again. Glover wins. And, and again, I know you didn't. Watch I never thought we'd see that again. I never <laughs> thought we'd see that again. And oh my word, draining putts from distance when he absolutely had to make them to save par, to save bogey after he hit one in the water, had to take a drop, hit it to I don't know, it was twenty five feet, twenty eight feet, something like that, makes the putt. Not only did he putt okay, what? What? What what's going on here, Tony? Honestly, I think we can credit the lab putter if you want. We can say that played a role. I suppose that there's some indications that maybe, but we were talking about how many three shows ago Lucas Glover hadn't won on tour in I don't know how long. Sure. And we bring him up in the comparison to Michelle Wee's career. Here's your parallel. Right. Mention Lucas Glover. Of all the pros we could have chosen, pull Lucas Glover out of the hat as the comp. Right. <laughs> now he's won two in a row, so maybe it's us. I'm just saying. It may be you. I'm not taking it's credit. Probably not. I'll give it's Lab. I'll give the putter the credit. I'll give the putter. I'd, if if I if I were a Phil Mickelson, I would put the money on the Lab putter. Yeah, for sure. But oh my gosh, yeah. I think it's safe to say they should be selling as many putters as they want right now because one. This is lightning in a bottle. And and again, there are more bad putters out there than there are good putters. This sure. stuff keeps happening. And I'm like, you're going to end up with I one. I feel like the last guy on the My Golf Spy staff who has. You're going to end up with one in the bag. Tried one. I, yeah. It's, 
And they'll be like, happen. hey, so why did you put that lab putter in your bag? And I'll be like, Lucas Glover. I'm a bad putter. Luke, Lucas Glover. <laughs> Lucas <laughs> Glover. Just Lucas Glover. That's all I got. It was either that or his pants. And I went with I went with his putter instead of his pants. Announcement coming from Arcos Data. Woohoo, Arcos! Arcos. They're one of the very first ones. We've talked about them a number of times. One of the first ones on the scene in terms of stat tracking game management into the AI caddy predictive analysis type all the good of things, yeah. all the good things. What did they announce, Tony? They announced something that you would like to share with all of us. Some our- funding really just like very, in very broad and general terms, some funding from the biggest names in the game, TaylorMade, Callaway, Cobra Puma. Ping, I think is in there. Ping, right. We'll come to that, back to that in a second. And then also mm-hmm. named the official game tracker of the PGA Tour. What does that mean? I think it means they're the official game tracker of the PGA Tour. There you go. The way I read that is, one, all those companies we just listed there also become minority shareholders in Arcos. So there is money involved, consideration, right? Yeah, and that makes sense because one of the things that that I've been hearing from insiders with some of these OEMs who partnered with Arcos, love the product, see a ton of potential for their business, right? We've talked about... On course insights leading to better products, but they've all, or not, I shouldn't say they all, but some have said the challenge for Arcos isn't been like the product. It's a really great product, but how do they make money with it? How do you turn this into something that really makes money? And so maybe this is a step towards that. I don't Mm -hmm. know, but it's, it's a curiosity. Less so the part about being the official game tracker of the PGA Tour. Yeah, I think that it it also solidifies what we've seen with Arcos in the last couple of years, which has been integration with major OEMs, with brands, and now with a, obviously, with large tour, with the PGA Tour, is to get into this space around not just performance tracking. Yeah, there's going to be consumer elements to it, no doubt, but all these other avenues that are open from an OEM perspective, like with all this data, Ping's already talked about how it's used Arcos data to help it better understand R&D processes, what clubs they should come out with to really get performance, right? To really get on-course performance specs and measurement and data from real golfers to say, okay, how can we help this help? How can we use this to help inform the next generation of whatever product it is and shot link most golfers aren't professional if you're on tour you have access to shot link which is literally every single one of your shots analyzed mapped etc you have all that data but day-to-day golfers don't have shot link so is this going to open some additional doors for arcos that maybe weren't before <coughs> with the pj tour specifically uh we'll see I don't know. It could be one of those just kind of name only, just, you know, tailor-made and golf channel and doing a segment, right? Same kind of thing, um, sponsored by whatever it is. But it it is name recognition. It's certainly for Arcos a means to open or own that space because we know, for example, ShotScope, the the main competitor in that space, really good product, but has not established any type of foothold with the OEMs. And so if you're just an average golfer, and you can go to any of the stuff you're probably going to buy anyway, the big name brands, and any of them can give you Arcos and you can keep going, hey, I, I just bought new clubs. 
I can maintain all the data I already have. I don't need to change anything in the system. Just got to pair my new sensors if they're embedded or even in some cases, just move them over to the new clubs and keep going versus being introduced to a new system like a shot scope. Mm-hmm. So it is, I would think, beneficial to Arcos to just be partnered with everyone who sells clubs. So I think in that yep. respect, this looks like a huge win for them. And of course, if these companies are now literally financially invested in the ongoing success of Arcos, that's a win as well. So yeah, I'm not sure what they get out of the official game tracker of the PGA Tour, but the rest of it looks pretty good. Okay. I like it. A couple days ago, because this will air on Wednesday, but a couple days ago, the notice and comment period expired. And I'm talking specifically about the proposed model local rule, ball rollback, whatever you want to call it. That notice and comment period is over. But we've heard, particularly in the last week or two, PJ Tours come out and basically said, "Mm, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. PJ of America more or less said the same thing, but was more under the guise of, hey, we need more time to look at this. We need to agree to a set of data before we even go down the road of what we should do. There isn't uniform agreement that we're even looking at the right information or whatever the case is. Obviously, you have the RNA and USGA largely on the other side. What do you make of all this, Tony? Is this going to hold stuff up? What? Yeah. I mean, in a sense, this is like the worst case scenario. In a sensible world, it would hold things up because we we mentioned this last time around, right? The USGA, they some conversations with manufacturers, but didn't clue them in until the comment period opened about exactly what it was they were thinking they were going to do. We know we talked about they didn't talk to PGA Tour players, which certainly suggests they didn't have a lot of conversations with the tour itself. And so it's not surprising that there's plenty of pushback on this. I think we expected it. Uh, so I don't know if there's a case of where the USGA has to go back to the drawing board and tries to find some middle ground or some sort of compromise, mm-hmm. or, you know, if they just put their head down and go full steam ahead with it anyway, and just say, Hey, look, fine. You know, you play by your own rules, but guess what? If you're going to play by your own rules, we're not going to be the guys who enforce them anymore. So you're going to have to check your own drivers at tournaments and things like that. Make sure right. all the balls are conforming, all that kind of stuff. Um, so that's a possibility. And again, you have this weird situation where, you know, two majors at least play by different rules. I don't know that we've heard officially what Augusta's going to do. And that's interesting because they, they felt like they were just going to go with the prevailing wisdom. And right now there doesn't seem to be any. You have like right. what the USGA wants to do and what everybody else would like to basically just continue with business as usual. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I think this is the most predictable uh, scenario and worst case scenario, because like I said, you see some of this stuff coming. On the other hand, it creates all the complexity and it brings to light all of the potential issues that some of us have been saying are going to happen all along, whether you bifurcate or not. What does that mean? They don't want to. The workaround being the model local rule. Okay, great. But now you got an amateur ball, let's say in a professional ball. What's an elite competition? What is it? Do you have to play under one set of rules or two? Do I practice with two balls or just one? Do I, the, the whole Pandora's box of ways to screw things up becomes open if, in fact, the ruling bodies do continue to push down this road and say thanks but no thanks regarding the feedback. Here's what we're going uh, to do. So they're on the precipice of doing something entirely idiotic, in my opinion. But and you also have manufacturers. I don't know 
what the split is, I don't think it's near 50-50. But, right. but there are manufacturers who would prefer a rollback because sure. it, it creates a market opportunity. Right. You can bet. Mm -hmm. we, we know it's very clearly on the record. Titleist <laughs> is opposed to a rollback. And why sure. wouldn't they want to be? Why would they be right. anything but? Because number one ball on tour by plenty. Right. Number uh, one yeah. ball at retail by plenty. So why right. would you get behind something that could introduce some chaos or maybe just hit the reset button on that a right. little bit? Whereas you have these smaller brands, some of the challenger brands that see opportunity in a full reset of the ball market. Yeah, you know, exactly. it, it seems to be split every step of the way. And uh, yeah, I I don't know I I don't know how they can just push through with it as is and expect to to achieve the desired result because ultimately, yeah, I don't know. As we've discussed time and time again, all of this is about the pro game, right? They're talking about the modified local rule for the mm -hmm. professional and elite amateur competitions. Define that when you get a chance, USGA. Be very clear. So none <laughs> of this is about impacting the amateurs. The guys like you and me, like true sure. amateurs, we're not competing. Real amateurs. As amateurs as it gets out there. It's not supposed to impact us at all. That's right. how it laid was laid out. This was supposed to be exclusively for the pro game. And mm -hmm. you have the pro games going, no, we're yeah. not going to do that. Right. No, thanks. Have right. fun. Bye-bye. Oh. Golf equipment, Tony, there's plenty of stuff coming out. We're going to get to more of this in the after show if you want to stick around small companies like Lab, like Crank. Is this a big break for them? The role of people like a Bryson DeChambeau, like Lucas Glover. Stay tuned for all that, but this is a big deal for companies like that. But we do have two new things coming out this year. Two, eh, let's talk about them. Maybe they're not earth-shattering embargoes. But start with this one, Tony. What do we need to know? TaylorMade MG4 wedges replacing the MG3 Wedges. They, they could have gone to like MG5 and just mess with this bill. No, no, it's going to do a whole new America. So thing. good, the we fours, skipped an entire generation. Replacing the threes, which are the two time Mike Most Wanted, Most wanted yeah. wedge winner, which is a big deal. So, what do we know on this one? Yeah, the MG3 wedge is arguably the most underappreciated piece of equipment from a major manufacturer. You don't think of TaylorMade as a wedge company, and part of that's TaylorMade's own fault for trying some weird stuff through the years <laughs> and not having any real direction with the wedge. But now <clears throat> they've got a franchise that is that is really solid. Like you said, two-time most wanted winner, new version, and with that you get that don't screw it up directive. Is that a McGree? This is the three. This yeah. is the three. Yep. So don't screw it up. If you look at what they've done, it's working on the moisture management piece right the wet performance mm -hmm. we're starting mm -hmm. to see more and more of that now more resources dedicated to Why? making a wedge <laughs> that that performs better in wet conditions is the word of the day so they we look back the tailor-made wasn't it wasn't like world leading it wasn't the best but it wasn't bad it wasn't among the worst in wet conditions but right. they worked to improve that some kind of that face etching type laser beams to create channel textures kind of thing so they've done some of that the rest of it, like refined shapes. We hear that right. all the time. And yep. the last piece, the piece that intrigues me is now they've expanded the number of grind offerings. There you go. And that is, we talk about this. Until you sell enough of these things, you can't start getting into niches and grinds under grinds. Exotic like grinds. So, yeah, yeah. And so now they're about 
plus or minus 15% of the market is what they told John Barber when he talked to him about this. And so you've reached that threshold where the lineup, where they're making enough money on it, where they can start to expand and give golfers some additional options. Nothing not to like in that, if only again, because we know what a strong performer the last one was. So yeah, I, all good things. Yeah, totally underrated release from a super underrated product. Star. Callaway Paradigm Star. Now, if we go back a couple generations, Star was the, I don't know, I'll call it kind of JDM, Japanese domestic market type of release with different price points, maybe a little bit of a different story. I read through the PR material stuff here from Callaway on this. Tell me if I'm getting this right, basically. I actually think it looks better than the regular Paradigm. I actually Ooh. think they did. For being ornate in this area, mm -hmm. I think it actually looks really good. And of course, requisite, right? What is that? It tells us something, Tony. Yes, it tells it tell us there's us? tungsten. There's tungsten. If it's, on the, if it's in there, it's got to be on there. The way I read this <laughs> is that like Star... That is basically the line within Cali for that golfer that wants something with the technology. Say, hey, I want your best current technology, but I need you to make it as light as possible for me. And because as I need expensive a as you can possibly make it that's, a reasonable argument for. <laughs> I guess that's my question. Like when I look through there, okay, we're talking, okay, it's going to be a lightweight version of Paradigm. How are they saving the weight? If we're going to take this and make a driver 270 to 274 grams total or something like that, where are they removing weight in order well, to get is, to that? As has been the story, there's a little bit that comes out of the head. No, it's not adjustable, so you're saving weight at the hosel. Okay. You're putting a lightweight grip on it, so you're saving weight there, and you're saving weight on the shaft. Plus or minus, call it 30, 31 grams of, of total savings. And again, this is the kind of thing that irks me, is you're going to charge a premium for this. And this will be the same conversation we had last time when they did a star line, because I feel exactly right. the same way. Nothing has changed. You're charging a $700 premium. And for Callaway's end of it, I'm not going to say it's nothing. They had to do a little bit of re-engineering, but the sure. weight savings are coming out of components. It's the grip. It's the shaft. It's making it, it's taking adjustability out of it, removing functionality. Right. There, there are ways to look at it. The nuanced version is, hey, look, everybody has products within their lineup for which they make more margin than others. And it's okay to have high margin products. You need those to offset some of the lower margin products. That's one way. The other way is to sum it up with two words and three syllables. And that's money grab, money grab, <laughs> money grab. And it's not to say there isn't a market for this. There is a market. Sexy, a, there is. People well, have companies have this line. A legitimate performance need for a lightweight draw bias product that is easy to get airborne, that increases swing speed, albeit a good bit of, through, through a reduction in weight and added length. Golfers sure. can benefit from that. But the thing is, if you look at just about, so Ping now offers a version of this, right? They have HL, a, right? They have an HL spec. We've talked about the Cobra F-Max line and how mm -hmm. that's evolved through the years. And so you have these products that offer 
very much what Callaway is talking about offering here, and they don't command a. I say seven hundred, like it's a, it's a hundred dollar premium. It, right? it really is. Dollar. That's the thing. When this was seven hundred a couple of years ago, it was absurd. Now it's okay. It's not that bad. Um, it's still a little tough for me. Like I said, I, I think there's a need for this type of product. I just don't think it needs to cost seven hundred dollars. And mm-hmm. you can spin it as well. UST Atos shaft with T eleven hundred fiber, whatever. We're, we're talking about mm-hmm. guys who are in their sixties, have virtually no swing speed, et cetera, et cetera. They really right. don't need a premium shaft T1100 type offering. Yeah, I know it saves weight, but there are other ways. There are plenty of other lightweight shafts on the market that didn't have to go this route, didn't command the price tag. So that's yeah. my only issue with it other is, is the price for what you're actually getting here. But otherwise, hey, interesting. Yeah, interesting. And we'll see driver 700, fairway 400, hybrid 350, irons are 250. Yeah, Fifteen hundred for a six-piece set, so that's yeah, two fifty a pop. So if you yeah. want to compare, I mean, there, them, you can, I can nitpick that, but they're not the only ones charging two hundred fifty a pop. No, far from it. Current driver is six hundred fairway, three fifty yeah. hybrid. I guess if you've got you the know, money and not the swing speed, <laughs> that's fine. It's fine. it's fine. It's all fine. It's all fine. Tony, get on your running shoes. It's speed golf time. I got five quick questions for you, and I need your help. Question number one. I heard uh, somebody say that they were playing in the last group this week. I think this was Cam Smith Live Golf event. My question is this. If it's a shotgun start, can you actually be in the last group? What hole do you start on if you're in the last group? I don't Maybe no. you get preference. Maybe you start I mean, on maybe one. if you tee off, if they structure it so every that last group tees off 15 seconds later than everybody else, and they're very rigorous about enforcing it, then yes. Otherwise, no. No, okay. you don't tee off in the last group. All right. Tee off in the first group with everybody else. Rory had his putter cut down three sixteenths of an inch. Felt like it was a a little bit long. Had his caddy, Harry Diamond, go over to local. I think it was Edwin Watts, whatever. My question is this. If you had a putter and I gave you one right now today and it was three sixteenths of an inch longer than your current putter, how long would it take you to notice? I don't know that I would. But if you took my current putter from me, cut it, down three sixteenths of an inch and brought it back. I might, I can't swear to, but that's, I know how the math works. That's almost a quarter of an inch and a quarter of an inch is noticeable for most of us. So solidly, maybe. Okay. Solidly. Maybe I like it. Lucas Glover goes back to back. We already mentioned it. There's something to riding the hot hand. I get it. I get it. I get it. The Ryder cups a month and a half away still, or whatever the case is. If he continues this level of player, doesn't regress in the next two events, does he warrant? If he wins the next two, you have to put him on. Yeah, he, <laughs> and he would then qualify probably on his own. On, on I mean, points, where but. is he, though, like in, in the rankings? Like that, I don't know. I would, yeah, it, he's well it's the same. It's the so Bryson much. question all over again to me and the Justin Thomas question to a lesser extent, but okay, but who do you knock out? And so unless Lucas continues this absolute heater and whether it's Ricky or we talk maybe Morikawa being the other guy. What if he does it? What if, let's say, he got into 14th, 16th, 18th position? What if he gets into the top 20 and he's playing super, super hot and you have somebody else maybe that isn't playing super well? Doesn't it intrigue you? Work yeah. for Ryan. I mean, Moore? like I said, look at based on what we the the list we looked at last week. Keegan's 
Keegan Bradley, maybe is the guy you go, mm, I don't know about. But yeah, it's still, I, I think he's got to win one of the other two and top 10 in the fourth before you can get fully on board the Lucas Glover train. All right. That's fine. Caddies have the opportunity to not wear those caddy bibs, which can get hot. I've worn one a couple times in, in warmer events. It's fine. But the PGA Tour allows them to take them off if it gets over a certain heat end, index or whatever. What should be done for the players? It's, they looked absolutely not wearing out shorts. There. It's absurd. And it's, again, these clinging to traditions. And I, I will go back to my metric football analogy. But now they, when you have temperatures that are at a certain level, and don't ask me what it is, but like there are mandatory water breaks. Right. So if, and that's obviously not the same thing here, but it's an acknowledgement of, hey, the temperature is having a non standard impact on things. And so, yeah, maybe it is like looking ahead and going, hey, if the heat index is forecast to be above X, then you know what? You get to wear shorts this round as, as the compromise. If you don't want to go, you know what? Who cares? Which I, I'm all for, you know what? Who cares? Just let them wear shorts. That's fine right. with me. But if you're not willing to go that, at least have some sort of sensible metric that you can look at and go, yeah, you know what? We are hot as balls here. Let's get some ventilation up in here. I like just give them the option. Doesn't mean you have to. If you got somebody that really wants to wear pants and suffer great knock yourself out but come on man give people give them what are we doing here we don't need pants we don't need khakis we don't need please harold varner the third came out and basically said something effective it's harder to win a live event at four million dollars than it is to win on win on the pga tour i loved when harold varner came out and basically said hey i'm going to live because of the money i'm not growing the game i i, I found it to be a refreshing sense of honesty i find this to be a refreshing sense of idiocy it's lived disease though and this is it, it's to an extent why i can't even take live seriously at any level we all know what it is right money grab by and large not the top tier players by and large right. not top tier venues by and large right. not top tier competition this is all painfully obvious to all of us we all know what it is and yet there's this constant desire to spin it into something that's bigger than what it is rather than just appreciated or taken in as it is. It's just the constant upsell that, that goes against what's right in front of all of our eyes. So it's just verifiable nonsense. And yeah, no, it's not harder to win on live. You have <laughs> the level of competition is lower. The purses are by and large bigger and not for anything. Every one of these guys got more than 4 million just for showing up. So what are we even talking about? No. I just... <laughs> it's this is the kind of stuff you'd expect from one of the Live Fanboy Twitter accounts. And no, again, you're yeah. just like, come on. Is this parody? Yeah. And I'm not know. even going to get into the fact that playing well over three days probably easier than playing well over four days? There's that. Yeah, no. There's <laughs> I mean, smaller fields for fewer days. And, I, and I, maybe you argue, hey, I have one fewer day to make my epic comeback. So maybe that's the argument. I don't know. I, I don't, I don't buy it. I don't know. I'm not buying it. I don't buy it. I'm not buying it. I'm not buying any of that stuff. We are going to have an after show today, Tony. We're going to talk about some of these smaller brands. Lab, Crank. We're going to work a little Bryson in there. Billy Horschel. Oh, I got questions about him. So with that, stick around. And we'll be right back. All right. Thank you for sticking with us. Tony is engaged in his Twitter sphere, trying to figure out whether or not to call it Twitter or X it's or whatever. Twitter. But 
Is it? Christ. Still Twitter? Still Twitter? Still Twitter to me. It's still Twitter to you. I got to talk about Bryson. So, and, and this is going to loop something in here with, like I said, know. with Crank and Lab a little bit. But did you hear what he said that, and, and maybe I'm getting the quote right, maybe I'm paraphrasing, but basically saying, my equipment is better now than it was at any time in the previous five years. What is he, like, other than the crank driver, what is he actually playing? So, I don't get what's in the bag for live players. Especially <laughs> ones that aren't under any contract. That's typically how they... There's that. So, my understanding, he went to Ping. They went to the Proving Grounds, did the whole thing. They did that one-length set. I believe they're the I-230s. Same thing into the glide wedges. So, if I'm not mistaken, I think that's still the case. That uh, Still rocking those that iron setup. Obviously, still the same putter. It was sick. Still the same... Putter there, crank driver. Somebody said maybe he had it one of the crank fairway woods in. I don't think that was true. Maybe it wasn't. I know he was still playing some of the Cobra stuff in the fairway woods. And again, with the fairway wood being like a nine degree That's Frankenstein right, three wood thing, big tour, extreme, whatever. So a little bit all over the place, but. Let's break that statement down. What is he actually saying, Tony? What do you think he's saying? (laughs) Yeah, he says a lot of things. And a lot of the things he says come back to bite him in the ass later. And he has to tap dance around it, clarify, walk it back, whatever. And I think he's playing right now, period. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's because of the equipment. But (laughs) honestly, maybe it's just because he went out and just got a crank driver, right? He didn't try and insert himself into the engineering process, insert his own understanding of physics. Uh, certainly with, with Ping, he spent a whole lot less time with them than he did with, with the Cobra engineers and ultimately less input from Bryson in the irons may actually work to Bryson's benefit as well because he's, he does take this approach of, I've got this figured out and if you guys who have been designing clubs for decades would just listen to me because I took two years of college physics, we could get this sorted out. I was on a, at a Cobra event several years ago and I flew in a night early, met with R and D and that night the R and D guys got pulled into a dinner with Bryson because he wanted to discuss the bulge and roll on the driver and how he felt that they hadn't got it quite right. And they needed to make some adjustments because of something to do with angular velocity that he had all worked out. And if they would just sit down and listen to him, they'd probably have something with the driver here. And it's not just the driver. It was like that with every piece of equipment. And what I was told is the thing with Bryson is he gets all these ideas in his head and he's convinced he's absolutely right. And you have to spend a lot of time proving him wrong. And, And ultimately there was a lot of that, but there's also some compromise, right? Because at some point you just give the guy what he wants, especially if it's going to get him out of your hair for a little while. Mm-hmm. And so there may have been some of that. So if we have a situation now where he's got what I expect is an off the rack crank, long drive specialty driver, which may in fact make a lot of sense for a guy like Bryson. If he had less of a hand in engineering his irons, like I said, that works to his benefit too. So yeah, I, maybe it's the best stuff he's ever played, but if it's it, if it is, it's very likely due to the fact that he has less input in that than he's had in the past. <laughs> That's the irony of this whole whole thing to me, where let's, for a second, let's just take Bryson at face value and say, okay, 
he's playing better now than any time, you know, from an equipment standpoint, this is as good as he's ever had in terms of having performance, et cetera, dialed in. Let's just say that's true. Let's take Bryson at his word. Okay, great. In the previous five years, as, as we've established, he was on staff with Cobra and was playing Cobra right throughout the back. So this isn't even a subtle dig at Cobra. It is a direct pot shot, I think, at Cobra saying, hey, my stuff now today is better than what Cobra could manufacture for me during my time there. Okay, if that's the case, as you just mentioned, let's look at those two different dynamics. Dynamic number one, when your equipment wasn't as good, according to you, you inserted yourself in every possible facet, reasonable and otherwise, in terms of R&D production, like you said, inserting yourself into R&D conversations where, frankly, you probably didn't belong, nor did you have the expertise to even garner a seat at that particular table. And now you're playing phenomenally. And your input has basically gone to nothing. Didn't he win a major, by the way, with that equipment that now wasn't good enough? For Christ's sake. Yeah. But (laughs) letting the guys at Ping do what they do, where they didn't craft a brand new single-length set of irons. They took existing I-230 heads and, and basically went Frankenstein on them to get them to do, basically said, hey, Bryce, we'll take care of it. We'll figure it out. We'll do what we need to do. Here's what you want. Okay, there you go. I doubt that he sat in R&D meetings with Crank, Golf, or whatever, right? If anything's just the opposite. Oh, maybe this does work. And at some point, this may turn into a relationship with with Crank, and he may sit in on some R&D meetings and give them some specific direction on how they need to make a driver better for him, and we'll see what happens. Uh, right. But I, I think we know how that, that's going to play out. So. It's just hilarious that the less involved, what I take from it, the less involved Bryson is in that portion of the process, the better his equipment has become, which tells me, it tells me less about the equipment and an awful lot about Bryson. Well, not for anything. Ping does make a, a sneaky good wedge. Yeah, they do. That's also fair. Let's talk another equipment thing here, Tony. So going from crank again, Lab golf, we mentioned with putters, crank golf. Is this type of situation the only way or the best way now in kind of modern golf commerce for companies like this to go from a niche brand that maybe fledgles is like, okay, we're trying to become a startup. We're trying to make enough money to exist, et cetera, and really blow up and really become something substantial is this how that needs to happen? It's been a perfect storm the last few weeks. It's it's easier with the putter because just the way tour contracts are written, that, that is a spot where you sometimes have flexibility to go out and do your own thing. In, in terms of just the probabilities, you're more likely to have a putter like Lab or some small brand putter, pick one, mm-hmm. in the bag than you are a driver. Crank, sure. for Crank, Bryson is lightning in a bottle because he does not have a contract. But if you look, if you have a tailor-made contract, there's no getting around playing a tailor-made driver. Right. If you have a Callaway, right. Cobra even, Mizuno right. now, right? For a long time, Mizuno left that. Like, all right, if you don't want to play our driver, fine. Now Mizuno yeah. writes yeah. contracts and different deal. drivers. So yep. if you have a tour deal, you are almost invariably locked into that driver. And so Bryson not mm-hmm. having that deal 
created an unusual opportunity for Crank to sneak in. And, and certainly they've done that. It has worked out to date. Like I said, it, at some point, Bryson's game may go a little south and he may turn on Crank just like he's turned on Cobra and turned on Adele before that. And the, the pattern will repeat itself right. at some right. point. But for now, enjoy the ride. It's been good. Yeah. No, again, and Bryson said that Augusta is a par 67 for him, and he's in a position now to live to be well over 100 years old. How many so, green jackets has he won since then? I think roughly same number I have. Yeah. Yeah, right in there. Last one here, Billy Horschel. I want to get your take on this. Billy Horschel, basically, is so you're talking about specs on, on clubs and came to understand through a gears apparatus, which... If you don't know what Gears is, it's basically... <laughs> apparatus. Apparatus. It's like 3D motion capture on steroids, right? So we're talking, you're in there, you're swinging stuff hooked up, whatever, and we can analyze and assess and isolate every different kind of component imaginable, looking at how the body responds to things, looking at how clubs respond to body movements, blah, blah, blah. All these things, a very in-depth analytical process. And what he came to realize from that is his irons were largely two degrees to three degrees to upright. That's a big difference. That's, that's for uprightedness. That's a number. How does that happen? You're Billy Horschel. You're a professional golfer. We just talked about how Rory McIlroy could figure out three sixteenths of an inch difference in the length of a putter. And you're telling me a professional golfer couldn't go, I think, two to three degrees too upright? That's You do wonder, massive. right? We, we talk about fitting all the time, but tour players, probably more so than, than most of us, at least the knowledgeable among us gearhead types, are, are inclined to get locked into specs a lot of times, I think. Mm -hmm. At some point in time, he probably got fit into a lie angle that was too upright for him, but it worked mm -hmm. for him at that time. And so sure. that, I would assume, that just became the spec. And with each iteration, yeah, send me these and, and make sure they're two degrees, three degrees upright, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And then you get on an apparatus of some sort <laughs> and you look at the numbers and go, hey, hey, wait a minute. Let's, let's flatten these out a little bit. I can understand how it happens, even at the tour yeah. level. And certainly it's not the case with Billy, obviously, but when we talk about LPGA level, it's not uncommon for the women on that tour who don't have the, the full bag deals, which is most of them, or at least a healthy percentage of them, don't even or may have never been fully properly fitted for what's in their bag. So it seems crazy, yeah. but big yeah. picture, it's probably not that unusual. Yeah. Man, the other takeaway I had from that was if Billy Horsell can be two to three degrees off, and just to put that in a little bit of context... If people tend to go in half degree increments throughout a bag, so if your pitching wedge is 64 degree lie, right, then your eight iron is 63, your six iron is 62, you're basically, if you're two to three degrees off, that's one set, one side of your irons all the way. If you're two upright, basically, we're saying that, mm, man, maybe your four or five iron is where your pitching wedge is supposed to be like that's massively off it's almost you have specs from the wrong side of the your set of iron man go get checked go get your lies assessed if if he could be off by that much and not really know it playing as much as they do 
Holy cow. Yeah, man. You never know. That's all I'm saying. Any last thoughts, Tony? Feelings, hopes, dreams? No. None. Okay. None? All right. A lot of strong opinions. Lots of equipment coming out there. As always, if you have questions, let us know. Give us your questions. Golf Spy T, Golf Spy C. Find us on the interwebs. Let us know what we can do to help you. Have a great week. We'll talk to you soon. We out. <laughs>